Welcome to Digital Yom, a podcast about living a symbolic life in a technological age. Man cannot stand a meaningless life. I'm Jason Smith, Jungian analyst and author of Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life. And in this episode, we discuss the concept of the numinous and how we can begin to attune our awareness to this dimension of life experience. It's the human soul. That's the buried treasure. In speaking of religion, I must make clear from the start what I mean by that term. Religion, as the Latin word denotes, is a careful and scrupulous observation of what Rudolf Otto aptly termed the numinosum, that is, a dynamic agency or effect not caused by an arbitrary act of will. On the contrary, it seizes and controls the human subject who is always rather its victim than its creator. The numinosum, whatever its cause may be, is an experience of the subject independent of his will. In the recent series of episodes on dreams, I discussed that realm of experience in which the ego is no longer felt as being at the center of things. Experiences like those met in dreams reverse our usual standpoint and suggest that certain things that we typically attribute to our subjective life, such as certain powerful emotions, have an objective and autonomous existence. Now, to be sure, this decentering of the ego is a very difficult thing to experience. Or, to be more precise, it's difficult to recognize that we're experiencing it. In the first place, it's a deeply ingrained habit to put ourselves at the center of all the action. In addition to this, a decentered ego is almost impossible to think about because we can't help but be aware of ourselves as the I that's doing the thinking, which of course just puts the ego front and center once again. And even if we can understand on an intuitive level that such a relativization of the ego might be beneficial, It's not something that we can make happen by our own efforts. Using the ego to try to decenter the ego, it's like a dog chasing its own tail. The will cannot overcome itself. The decentering power must come, 
as it were, from the outside. And it's just this power that Jung calls the numinous, or as he puts it in our opening quote, the numinosum, the two words being essentially interchangeable. And the proper attitude toward the numinous is one that can only be called religious. And the idea of the numinous is central to Jung's understanding of the religious function of the psyche. And as I noted back in episode 10, an instinct for meaning, religion for Jung is a psychological attitude and not a specific content of belief. It's a way of paying attention to the world and to life, and in particular to those experiences that evoke in us a sense of awe. And so it's an attitude, he says, that's characterized by a careful and scrupulous observation of the numinous, which he defines as a dynamic agency or effect not caused by an arbitrary act of will. On the contrary, it seizes and controls the human subject, who is always rather its victim than its creator. Simply put, the experience of the numinous is felt to be something external to the human being. It's something that happens to us. We do not create or fabricate it. It seizes and controls the human subject, who is always rather its victim than its creator. Now, Jung borrows the idea of the numinous from a theologian named Rudolf Otto, who coined the term in a book called The Idea of the Holy. And one of the things that Otto talks about in that book is the way that the holy, the word holy, and with it the notion of the holy, and what we think of and what we refer to as holy, had lost its original power. It had become degraded by popular usage to mean something like the height of moral goodness. And so this concept of the holy, he felt, had become too rational. And it was no longer able to convey the sense of a, a sort of larger, non-rational dimension to which from his point of view, a proper religious sensibility should also be attuned. And so he coins this word, numinous, as a way to begin to recover this sense of this powerful, non-rational experience. And for Otto, the numinous is central to religious experience. He says, there is no religion in which it does not live as the real innermost core, and without it, no religion would be worthy of the name. So he's, he's trying to find a way to express this idea of the holy in its original sense, right? Its, its original power. And, and for Otto, this kind of larger, non-rational experience is the real meat of religion. All the doctrines and symbols, rituals, and beliefs are just 
meaningless and empty forms if they are not expressions of a lived and a living experience. No religion would be worthy of the name if it didn't convey the sense of the numinous. And we can see here how it connects with Jung's understanding of religion that we just mentioned, right? That religion is an attitude that is characterized by a careful and scrupulous observation of the numinous. And what this idea of the numinous is meant to describe is what Otto calls an overplus of meaning. An overplus of meaning. So it, it points to something more than can be named or even fully understood. And so, as is often the case in this podcast, we're talking about something that cannot really be defined. Something that's very difficult to even talk about at all. It's not something that can be understood on a merely rational or intellectual level. It's, it's really something that has to be experienced, really known in a fully embodied and experiential way, if it's to be understood at all. And, and I wonder if we really appreciate just how true this is for so many of our life experiences. There are so many things in this life that we simply can't understand until we've experienced them, until they've been encountered in some way. In the Bible, Jesus says, to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Now, on a concrete and rational level, this saying sounds patently unfair, right? The person who already has is going to get more, and the person who doesn't have is going to have even that taken away from them. And of course, economically and practically, it is unfair. But spiritually and psychologically, that is, symbolically, this saying points to the fact that if you already have even a glimpse of an understanding of something, if you've already had some experience of a thing, then you have the ability to recognize such experiences from now on. It's in you as a readiness to perceive. Once you've seen something, it's easier to see it again. Once you've encountered the numinous, you're primed, so to speak, to experience the numinous. Having a baby would be one example of this dynamic. It's impossible to know what it's like to have a baby until you have a baby. Whatever one might read ahead of time can be helpful for recognizing certain experiences when they happen, but the profound life transformation that occurs with the birth of a baby, sometimes joyous, sometimes difficult, sometimes embraced and sometimes resisted, 
can only be understood when we possess some immediate experience, some lived sense of what it means. We know it in our bones, not just in our minds. The death of a loved one is another example of this. It's one thing to talk about grief, and it's a completely different experience to be grieving. And it's impossible to convey what the experience of grief is in terms of rational or intellectual categories. And in both of these examples, we get a sense of that overplus of meaning that Rudolf Otto is talking about. And in fact, these examples give us a taste of just what numinous experiences are like. They are experiences that are powerful. They're experiences that are personal. At the same time, they're experiences that transcend the personal, that overpower our sense of ourselves. And they're experiences that bring us to the edges of what it means to be human, such as those experiences that surround things like birth and illness and death, those times when life's great mysteries break through the well-constructed facades of our lives. Otto describes the numinous experience as one that humbles and at the same time exalts us, circumscribes and extends us beyond ourselves. So it's this paradoxical experience, right, where we're both humbled and exalted, where we're circumscribed, we're limited, but we're extended beyond ourselves. We, we become, so to speak, unlimited. In a sense, we become both nothing and everything. And we've seen that an understanding of the numinous cannot be had secondhand. It can't be taught. It can only be evoked. It has to awaken within the personal experience of the individual. And there's no way to prescribe how this might take place for an individual. For many, it's found in the relationship to the natural world. Standing before a beautiful sunset or looking out over the vast ocean and feeling a sense of awe or being overpowered by the sublimity of the scene. Others may be moved by the mysteries of the mind and the inner world. I've suggested that dreams can be a source of numinous experience, that what they reveal about the background operations of the psyche can itself be a source of wonder. But whether we look within or without, if we truly give sustained attention to some aspect of life, it's a sure thing that we will come upon something astonishing. And the great teachers of this kind of attention to the world are the poets. The poet, wrote Wallace Stevens, is the priest of the invisible. And so I want to turn here to a section of a poem by W.B. Yeats called 
vacillation that I think offers a beautiful image of the sudden emergence of the numinous. My 50th year had come and gone. I sat, a solitary man, in a crowded London shop, an open book and empty cup on the marble tabletop. Well, on the shop and street I gazed, my body of a sudden blazed, and twenty minutes, more or less, it seemed so great my happiness that I was blessed and could bless. It's all too easy to miss, or more accurately, to dismiss a numinous experience. In general, there's a lot of resistance against such an idea. We have a lot of resistance against thinking in terms of the spiritual, a point that Jung makes when he writes, modern man has such hopelessly muddled ideas about anything mystical, or else such a rationalistic fear of it, that if ever a mystical experience should befall him, he is sure to misunderstand its true character and will deny or repress its numinosity. It will then be evaluated as an inexplicable, irrational, and even pathological phenomena. And yet these experiences do happen. They're not really so uncommon. The numinous comes in many ways. In, in Yeats' poem, it comes while sitting outside a cafe on a crowded London street, reading a book. My body of a sudden blazed. All of a sudden, the ordinary is filled with a sense of the extraordinary, a sudden and inexplicable visitation of meaning. And like I said, it's not so uncommon as it might sound. It's not uncommon for people to have powerful synchronicities or to feel at certain moments a sense of spiritual presence. Often people will experience a sense of knowing things, of having powerful intuitions, and they don't really know why they seem to know what they know. And even though these kinds of experiences happen to people all the time, most of us are very shy about sharing them with others. We hold them in our private hearts with a mixture of reverence, perhaps hope, and no shortage of embarrassment. For as meaningful and powerful as they are, we live in a world, as Jung points out, that has lost its understanding of what to do with the numinous, how to meet it, and how to respond to it. We fear that we might be making things up, right? 
we doubt our own experiences. We wonder if it was only in our heads or if it was just our imagination, as if that made the experience any less real, as if the human imagination wasn't one of the most astonishing mysteries of human life. And too often, we lack the courage of the poets who have learned how to be honest and vulnerable in the face of numinous experiences, who know that even the most ordinary experiences can overflow with numinosity. And so here at the end, I guess I don't have so much of a takeaway as a question. What would it mean for us to take the experience of the numinous seriously? What would it mean to let ourselves be surprised, astonished, and humbled by life? And I suspect that at least part of the answer to this question is some kind of a mixture of both fear and hope. We fear such an attitude because it means that there's more at work in the world than just our own will and action, that there's something other to which we might have some relationship and some responsibility. And we feel hope because to take the numinous seriously means we throw our chips in with the wager that life is meaningful, that, as Herman Melville wrote, some certain significance lurks in all things. And that hope, that experience, as we'll talk about more fully in the next episode, is a healing one. As Jung teaches, meaninglessness inhibits fullness of life and is therefore equivalent to illness. Meaning makes a great many things endurable. Perhaps everything. Until next time. You'll find information in the show notes for all the sources used in this week's episode, as well as links to connect with me on social media. Let's make this a conversation. If you have any comments or questions about anything you heard in this episode, or that you'd like me to address in a future episode, send them to me on Facebook or Twitter. And finally, if you want a deeper dive into the kind of material explored on this podcast, please check out my book, Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life, available from Chiron Publications. Thanks for listening, and take good care.